This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 58 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They offer supplements designed to give you the most value for your dollars. Visit them at kppusa.com. includes conversations with Haley Beresford and Laura Graves. Growing up, I did everything from three days from three days to show jumping to dressage to show horses and uh, one thing led to another and I always wanted to to ride and my family didn't want me to ride so I, I have a degree in music and uh, business as well and I had my own business in Australia and by coincidence met Isabel and then one thing really did lead into another. I'm Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Catherine Haddad in Festa, Germany, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Catherine. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Nice to have you back. I know you've been traveling since we last spoke. Um, <clears throat> other parts I, of Europe? I have. And yes, I, I, well, I've been in Austria for two and a half weeks. I did two horse shows down there. And uh, because the trip to the first show was 1,200 kilometers and the trip home from the second show was going to be 1,100 kilometers, I decided to stay in Austria for the two weeks in between rather than ship my horse back and forth. Well, very nice. So. I, can't think, I can't think of a better place to spend a couple of weeks in June. It was lovely. I stayed at the um, stable and the, the farm of Evelyn Heim Swarovski, and she and her husband Klaus were very, very generous in putting me up there with my horse, and that's where the second horse show was held, and it was, I think, the best horse show I have ever been to in my life, and you know I've been to a lot of horse shows. Um, it was just a beautiful setting, and the arena really well done, and fabulous parties and concerts and all kinds of things planned for the competitors. It was really a really nice weekend. And Ann Gribbons came, the team advisor, and also two other Americans competed there, Tina Cognat on her horse, Collecto. And uh, Chris Hickey was there as well with his small tour horse and his young Grand Prix horse. So I got to see some horses that are normally competing only in America, and that was really nice to, to meet my, I hope, my future teammates and see their horses go. That's terrific, because you've been in Europe how long now, Catherine? 17 years. 17 years. Wow. Well, so you know, that, that in, in itself provides opportunities and challenges, I'm sure, because you get to go all over Europe very easily, relatively easily, yeah. of course, and, yeah. um, and compete in some lovely venues. And I know you've been blogging about your Austrian trip uh, on, the, on the Chronicle. We'll put a link yeah. to that, of course. And tell us about the two horses, because you did very well with both of them, didn't you? Yes, I only had one horse with me. Uh, oh, Cadillac okay. stayed home. He's training. Right. Um, but Vinyamaro, my younger Grand Prix horse, my up-and-coming um, prospect, he went with me. And at the first show in Ockleiton, did very well, got the score up to 66.7 in the Grand Prix. And one judge gave me over 70% in that test, which I was quite happy with uh, because it's a very well-known and high-ranked old judge. Um, another judge gave me a really low score, so it kind of averaged out at 66, whatever. Uh, the horse was going better and better, and then we went over to the show at Fritzen's, which is at the stable of Swarovski, and there we ended up with almost 68%. Again, a little bit in the same situation. Another very 
technically advanced judge um, gave me over 70%, and another local judge gave me 65. So again, it averaged out to below what I wanted it to, but the horse is, is really improving and really coming on strong. And there are some very, very, um, uh, very good judges seeing that now. That's great. Now, let me ask you this, Catherine. When you go to a competition periodically, do you set yourself a goal like, I want to come away with, I want to achieve this kind of score? Do you have something in your head thinking that this is just going to measure the progress of my training if I can reach around about this kind of percentage? No. <laughs> no? No, I, I never do that because I, I find that it just sets me up to lose. Um, as a trainer, because I'm not just a competitor, I'm also a trainer. And I, what I have for myself when I go to every horse show is a certain training goal, meaning um, for Ock Lighten, for instance, I wanted to be able to show a slightly higher, more open frame, and I wanted to be able to present uh, better pirouettes in the show ring. So I set those two goals for myself and for my horse, and I said, if, if I achieve those two things, I'm going to be happy. And I did achieve those two things, and, of course, the score came up as a result of that. Then I moved on to the show at Swarovski in Fritzens, and I had a couple other goals. I wanted to get my PF uh, passage transitions better, and I wanted to get my passage a little bit more airborne and off the ground. I wanted to in, uh, improve the frame again. And, again, I was actually able to do all of those things in the show ring, and, and the score came up again. So what I, do, what I try not to do is depend on other uh, people to judge my progress meaning I don't, I don't put that kind of power in the hands of the judges. I leave it to myself. I look at the videos. Um, I really pay attention to the feeling that I have in the show ring, and I know whether my horse is improving or not. Sometimes the scores will catch up with that immediately, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And I'm sure that depends on which part of the world you're showing in, too, and the judges Absolutely. you're getting in front of. Yeah, this is a very interesting dynamic, I think, and, and I know a lot of riders, they do it the other way around. They set themselves, um, you know, a target and that, that they want to come away for, with. with. Um, but as you say, it does set yourself up for, for failure in a, little, in a way because if that's how you measure your horse's progress, then if you don't get it in front of those judges, you might get it the next week in front of others. So does that, is that a true reflection of your own personal goals within your training with your horse? Exactly. And I'm, I'm very, very careful about uh, who I listen to, meaning um, I'm really, really have an ear open for my trainer who helps me a lot. Morton Thompson helps me a lot at home and, and at horse shows. And I really trust my own eye. And also my groom, who's been working for me for a very short period of time, has a very good eye. And I can ask her questions before and after the test. And um, I trust these, the small group of people that I have around me. And if I see the same judges at several shows, and there are, there's a certain group of judges, I have to say, who I really trust their opinion. And so, for instance, if Dieter Schula puts me in the show ring at 65%, I say to myself, Catherine, you've got to go home and do some serious work. Um, but if he gives me a really good score, then I know that my score is coming up and that I'm, I'm going in the right direction. But not all five judges may agree with him on that day. And I'm, I'm very careful about um, not letting that get me down. If I, if I don't have a, a uh, what's the word, um, when the scores are not the same, if I don't have a consistent result from all five judges, I, I try not to let that upset me because that happens a lot. And it's not always that the highest scoring judge is the best. It's just that I have to really trust my feeling and trust the judges who I, who I know. I know what they're looking for, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can present it there in the show ring. Yeah, very interesting. Well, what's next for you then, Catherine, after that? 
I am going to Falsterbow. Actually, what's next for me, you're, you're catching me between trips. I'm unpacking my bag in about a half an hour here, and then I'm repacking my bag, and I'm flying to Stockholm to do a clinic. And then I'm coming home, and then I'm training through the weekend. My trainer will be here. And then on Tuesday, we leave for Falsterbow in southern Sweden, which is a fabulous horse show. It's um, completely different from, from where I just was in the Austrian Alps, and it's the other end of the continent, of course. But it's a lot of fun, has a fantastic atmosphere. I have really good friends up in Sweden, and I'm really looking forward to doing that horse show. How long will you be gone on that trip? Well, that one's not so far away for us, so probably we will probably be gone a total of four days. But very nice, very nice. Mm-hmm. And now, with that horse um, that that you were competing with in in, in Austria, what next for for him? And in, in the long term, are you are you qualified for other competitions? Yeah, well, actually, big news. He is now qualified for Gladstone. Um, after the Austrian wow. tour, we did those two horse shows down there. He's got his two scores in for Grand Prix Special and Grand Prix Freestyle. And I think he's averaging right now around 67%, but it is going up. This horse, I started him international in May. The first show was Hamburg, where we got a 64%. The next show, we got 66 The next show, 66.7. And now he's at 679 um, so he's he's just going up, and I hope that he, that the trend continues. But you know that's not something you again that's not something I'm going to set myself up for. I'm not going to say I have to get a higher score at Falsterbow because we don't know that that's going to happen. Um, but I am going to keep trying to improve some things. And I got really really positive feedback from Ann Gribbins on the weekend. She also helped me in my warm ups and was really really useful to me there at Fritzens. And um, I, she was very positive about the horse. And I think we're all hoping that he really continues to improve as quickly as he has done in the last three months because he's starting to look like a horse who will eventually be a team horse for America. So I'm actually thinking about taking him with me to Gladstone this summer. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, coming back to uh, the homeland. Now, that has to be challenging, Catherine, you know, for riders all over Europe that travel you know, you're all in business. You're, all, you know, it's all about uh, training and competition. But raising the money to to make these trips, it, it can't be cheap. No, it's not cheap. It's it's. I I think you'll fall off your chair if I tell you what I estimate it will cost me. Um, I I really I really would like to do Gladstone this year. I I feel like it's it's the timing is right, and especially for me professionally. But it is a huge financial consideration, and it's. You know, we're, our federation does as much as they possibly can to help us, which we're all extremely grateful for. But unfortunately, we don't have a really well-funded equestrian program compared to other countries. And, I, of course, that does show up a bit in results as well. Great Britain, for instance, um, has a lottery, and all of the proceeds from their lottery goes to, to supporting athletes for the Olympic sports. I wish we had that same thing in the United States because, boy, I sure could use some some financial help to get to Gladstone. And I know there's a lot of other riders in the same boat. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are, Catherine. And, I, you know, there, there are only certain ways you can do this. And then, of course, you've got the time element, too. I mean, Gladstone's going to be upon us in no time at all. So uh, mm-hmm. um, I think a rally... Yeah, the only... The only, for me, the only uh, difficult time issue is the fact that if I do make the team in Gladstone, which we don't know that's going to happen, but if I do, then I'll stay on for Kentucky. Of course, I won't come home to to Europe with my horses and then go back. I'll stay on in America. So I'm looking at being away from my own business for two and a half months, um, which I'm quite prepared to do. In fact, I'd be happy to be away from my business for two and a half months. It's just a question of of money, unfortunately. Those numbers on paper are staring at me boldly in the moment. 
Well, it, I mean, it's not like I can close my stable and fire all my employees for two and a half months. I can't no, do that. No, no. Well, it all comes down to the dollar in the end, doesn't it, Catherine? Or the euro yes, it does. in your case. Yeah. But, or the euro, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, maybe there's somebody out there um, who understands the predicament. You know, we, we want to get the best riders and horse and rider combinations on the team, of course. So uh, it, We sure do. Yeah. We sure do. And I'm, I'm not the only one who needs help. I mean, there are other riders. Fortunately, I have to say, fortunately in the United States, we have two, three, maybe four riders who are very well sponsored. I used to be well sponsored, and I'm eternally grateful for the chance that that gave me in my career to come as far ahead as I am. But my sponsorship ended at the end of 2009, so I don't have um, someone with deeper pockets than my own to take care of these expenses. And I know there's a couple other riders who are in the same boat. So, um, you know, it, it just, it's maybe food for thought, something maybe after these World Equestrian Games, that's something that I could maybe work on together with some people in the United States to try and establish some kind of fund for riders who need financial support to get to the selection trials. Absolutely. Well, I know, you know, our riders do go to Europe to get the experience that they're getting, and you've been based there, what, 17 years to garner yes. that experience too, which, of course, is invaluable. We all know that that exposure to the European judges and the European show scene is is critical to uh, produce these high-performance combinations at the, you know, at, at competitive levels. So we wish you the best of luck with that with Catherine. And uh, obviously, if, if anybody out there has any great ideas, as I said, we want the best horse and rider combinations on our team because we're going to have a tough time this year at the World Equestrian Games, you know, keeping, uh, uh, keeping our foot on the podium, Catherine. So, uh, uh, I agree with you. <laughs> I think it's going to be a real challenge for the team this year. But I don't, I don't want to be too negative about it because we've had some really interesting combinations crop up this year. I just saw one of them go in Fritzen's, and that was Tina with her horse Collecto. Mm -hmm. I was really positively impressed, and she did very well there with really good scores and good placings. And, and let me tell you, this, the competition at Fritzen's was a four-star, and there were top people involved. Isabel was riding there. Uh, Beatrice uh, Farrar Salad was riding there, or Salad Farrar, depending on how you say it. Um, she won one of the tests with a fabulous new horse. Um, Annabelle Balkenhall was, was competing with her top horse, Dublino. And Ula Salzgaber was there. It was, it was not a light horse show. In fact, it was the toughest competition that my young horse, Vinyamaro, has faced. So I was also... <laughs> I was joking with Ann Grivens and told her, you know, life is too short to be humble. So let me just say that I'm also really pleased with my own horse that he has stepped into that kind of competitive show ring and done as well as he did in the last couple of weeks. Well, good for you. Well, we'll be following that with interest. Best of luck, Catherine. And uh, I also want to mention, you know, our para dressage riders, they were... Uh, on their road to WEG, and as, uh, if you've been following the Horse Radio Network shows in the last few weeks, you'll know that we did our part to raise some funds for them with the Para Webathon. Well, they had their final selection trials at Lamplight in Illinois this past weekend, and we'll bring, it, we'll bring you the outcome of that long list that will be named. And I know Robin Brookman and Rebecca Hart um, were top the leaderboard with some of those uh, classes over there that weekend. So we'll get more information and the list um, that, uh, for the World of Question Games on next week's show. But before we come to our first guest this week, I want to take a break uh, to hear from our friends at Kentucky Performance Products. 
Hi, Glenn the Geek here. Choose Kentucky Performance Products Supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. This week, I want to speak with you about Elevate Maintenance Powder. Horses consuming limited grass due to a busy competition schedule or because of diet restrictions may not be getting enough natural vitamin E. Horses in rigorous training, seniors, broodmares, and stallions often require additional levels of vitamin E to meet their needs. When you need a supplement with natural vitamin E, choose Elevate Maintenance Powder. Affordable, effective, and research-proven, Elevate Maintenance Powder's vitamin E is nature's most powerful antioxidant, protecting your horse on the cellular level. Elevate Maintenance Powder supports the strong immune system and healthy muscle function necessary for top performance. It's affordable and easy to feed, and you can learn more about this and all their products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, our first guest this week is Laura Graves, and she's one of the selected riders that took part in the Developing Riders Clinic uh, in Gladstone recently with Debbie. And those of you who followed the show will know Debbie was on last week and talked about the clinic and the riders that uh, got selected. And Laura was one of four. There were many others that took part, uh, but she was one of the four. And we're going to have all of them on the show at one point. You know, it's great to watch these young riders, Catherine, get these opportunities to get in front of, you know, top trainers like Debbie um, and uh, this developing riders clinic, I think, is essential when we talk about the future of our teams and uh, on inter- in international competition. Absolutely, I, I really believe that's an area where we have to concentrate a bit more in the United States, and that is on developing and up-and-coming riders. If, if we want a future for the sport of dressage in our country, that's uh, an area of interest for us. Well, Laura's got some great stories to tell, so let's hear from her. Well, Laura, hi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I was really honored to be asked to participate. Well, we're delighted to have you on. You know, we always want to hear about up-and-coming stars, and it sounds like you are an up-and-coming star. You had a great weekend up in there in Gladstone at Debbie's uh, clinic. Uh, Did you come away from that like, wow, you know, just so full of information? I did. You know, it's really kind of a, a shock to have somebody call me an up-and-coming star. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've been at this so long, and sometimes, you know, especially recently, I just look at my life and I think how lucky I am. You know, I'm doing everything that I that I ever dreamed to do. And um, being chosen to participate in the clinic with Debbie at Gladstone was really just the icing on a wonderful past year that I've had. So it was really the thrill of a lifetime for me to be in such great company there. Well, good for you. And when you say you've been at it for so long, we should point out to our listeners that you're only 22, right? Just 22? That's true, yeah. It's true. But I've been riding um, and riding dressage since I was about 11. Were you really? Well, good for you. Well, tell us a little bit, um, Laura, about you know where you live and and your family's involvement uh, in in the sport and how you got started in dressage. Sure, um, I'm from Vermont, which is a state. Uh, most people tend to ask what state it's in, but it's a state of its own. And um, I grew up here, and um, the dressage community used to be quite small, but of course, as most people know, Region Eight is now a booming area for um, dressage. And um, when I was really little, my dad worked at a hardware store, 
and we had some friends had a couple ponies, and they were redoing their house, and they offered to trade my parents our old washer and dryer for their two ponies. So <laughs> I don't know. That has to be the best story we've heard so far on the show, Laura. That is priceless. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this is how things are done in Vermont. So I don't know what my parents were thinking. I don't know how this is possibly an even trade, especially looking at how, how we care for the horses now. And I bet the washer and dryer, you know, they got the better end of the deal there. But um, needless to say, we ended up with a couple ponies in the backyard. And um, I have two sisters, and we just grew up kind of messing around with the ponies, nothing serious. Um, my mom grew up on a Morgan horse farm, so she loved horses and knew how to care for them and everything. And then I was in 4-H for years and years and years and just really took a liking to it. And when I was about 11, I really seriously started taking some riding lessons, and it, I just haven't ever stopped. That's amazing. Do your sisters ride? Did they get the bug when when you started? You know, they didn't. They they hung out with the horses a little bit, and then they took the kind of straight path and were varsity athletes and um, yeah, played all the soccer and tennis and very athletic girls, but not so much with the horses, no. And and so when when does I'm curious, you know, this washer dryer story. Does this mean you don't have a washer dryer now, or things change now? You. you... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, luckily, my dad worked at this hardware store, so my parents thought they were making a great deal because they could get uh, a good deal on a new washer and dryer and have these two ponies. <laughs> but, but looking back, I don't know if they would have made the same decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great story, Laura. So yeah. so when when you got started then at age 11, who who, who were you talking, t- turning to, to for training? Did you have any mentors out there or anybody, any dressage trainers that you uh, worked with? I did. At the time here in Vermont, I rode with a woman named Judy Whipple of Breckenridge Farm, and um, she really did a tremendous amount for the young riders. And in 1999, she took a group of us girls from her barn to the inaugural, I guess they call it the Youth Dressage Festival now, London show that they put on. And it was the first year of that, and um, I, I wanted to event. And Everybody at the barn was going to this youth dressage show, and I said, you know, it's not really my thing. I don't think I want to go. And they said, come on, it will be fun. We'll all be there together. And I went and never thought about another jump. So we went to the competition and just had a great time. Well, good for you. Now tell us about your horse. Do you have more than one horse? I do. One of them is um, pretty much retired. I started with um, a quarter horse, believe it or not, and we bought him for a bargain price up in Canada as a four-year-old. And um, with dressage being his weak point, and he turned out, you know, I worked with him for years and years, and he actually competed through fourth level. So he was a super horse, and I still have him, and um, we try to keep him in shape, and he just has taught lots of, I teach little kids on him, and he's just a really, really solid horse. And then um, 
when we had to retire him, we had a tough choice to make. We had a very small budget, and which left us with the choice of buying something that maybe wasn't great quality but was already under saddle, or we could take the chance on a really young horse. And what we ended up doing was purchasing a weanling from Holland and raising him in our backyard, and he is now eight years old. So that's the horse that I rode at Gladstone. And so he's an eight-year-old Dutch warm blood, and he has just turned into the love of my life, and he's a, a fabulous horse. I've never, I've never had the pleasure of working with a horse who just is all heart. You know, you ask him for 100%, and he gives you 150 every day, you know? What's his name, Laura? His name is Berdades, but we call him Diddy. Uh, okay. Okay, so uh, I think that um, has something to do with the address of your website, doesn't it? That's right. Um, we were try- I was trying to come up with something clever, and um, I came up with itsdiddy.com. There you so, go. Good for you. Yeah, you can do it on the web there. And so are you, are you into all the new media, the blogging, the Facebook, the Twitter, and, uh, or do you do that for your horse? Is he, is he the star? He's totally the star. I mean, I wouldn't be in this position if it weren't for him. Um, and and I have Facebook. I I have the website, but I don't know how how good I am at any of this. So it's still fairly new to us. Well, I think you have to make him the star, don't you? And you know, get get start a fa- fan page for him on Facebook, and uh, you could start tweeting about. Do you use Twitter? I don't use Twitter, no. I think we should start a, a, a fan f- fan club here for your horse, right here on the Dressage Radio Show. What do you think? It sounds like a great idea, but you're going to have to help me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so now tell us, how how did these um, come about when you when you approached the uh, um, the clinic, the USEF, to, beca- to become part of this uh, developing dressage clinic and, and get to ride with Debbie McDonald. How did that all happen? Yeah, well, um, I um, got emailed the press release um, about these clinics that were going on in California and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I actually work for Ann Gribbins um, at her farm in Florida. I'm a working student there. And so one day after my lesson, I said to her, you know, I just got this email, and I mentioned the program, and she goes, oh, I meant to tell you about that. Definitely apply for it, and um, I'll be there, so we'll just see what happens. And um, so I applied, and luckily I was coming to Vermont for the summer, so I was able to truck to New Jersey in about six and a half hours, which is better than coming all the way up from Florida. So uh, we made it to the clinic, and we tried out, and we were chosen to ride. And tell us about that experience. How how much were you riding? How many days did you take part in that? Um, we got there. My horse is really green to travel. And so we got there on Wednesday evening. And then I rode him lightly on Thursday. And the actual tryout, there were, I think, 13 combinations trying out on Friday. So Debbie and Anne got there on Friday. And all day we rode in pairs for about a half hour. And um, it was actually really nice because at the end of the half hour, 
um, Debbie made an effort to come out and address each pair individually. So even if you didn't end up making the cut, everybody went away with some advice, and they actually had um, sheets on each horse and rider with, um, you know, areas of development and noting everybody's strengths, and it was, I mean, really nice. So even if you didn't make it, I think everybody took something away from the... And and if you had to if you had to kind of headline the main things that you took away from that, Laura, what would they be? Um, I think it's really just let's see the main things that I took away. I think Debbie has a really fresh eye right now. I think she's pretty recently back from Europe, if I'm correct, and um, she had everybody riding so forward, and it just is so impressive, you know, to see a horse going in that way. And you feel it in your own horse, and you see it in the other horses. And so really riding forward, letting the horses express themselves, um, letting horses be proud of what they've done. And um, all the horses are happy to do it, you know. They get to kind of dance around and be a little full of themselves, and it was really nice to see. Terrific, terrific. Well, I know you said you were a working student with Anne Gribben, um, but what are you doing now? You're back up in Vermont. Are you for the summer? Uh, have you finished school? Um, I actually went to cosmetology school, so I've been out of school for a while, and then I decided to pursue um, the horse thing, and I was I started down with Anne in May of 2009, so just over a year ago. And I was there for a full year, and she um, is super busy this summer, as you can imagine, um, with the World Equestrian Games and everything going on. So I decided um, to come back to Vermont for the summer just to kind of earn some money so I can go back uh, to Florida in the fall with some funds to hit a couple of really good shows. Terrific. So So you're going to have a busy summer then planning planning and preparing for your winter back down in Florida and getting really immersed in the immersed in the dressage scene down there in Florida. Yeah, you know, it never stops. You just get busier and busier and it's just such a such a fun time. So where you are now, you're approaching your twenty third birthday. I think what are you gonna tell us all what day your birthday is? Yes, my birthday is July twenty second. Terrific. Just before mine. Well, a happy birthday to you, Laura, in advance. Yes, happy birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Have a great summer with your horse, and we'll be putting a link on our website to uh, your new website, and uh, and I think we'll have to get you tweeting as well and get him a fan page going on Facebook and make make him the star as well. Great. Well, we will um, get some celebrity status going, and I will... (laughs) out of all of this so terrific well thank you so much for coming on the show laura wish you the best of luck have a great summer and good luck with your horse great chris thanks for having me i appreciate it well our thanks again to laura we wish her the very best of luck and hope she doesn't have to trade any more washer dryers to get a pony you know that was a great story there um catherine i loved it yeah i loved it So uh, best of luck to them. And as I said, we will be having more of those developing riders here on the show in the future. Well, we're going to uh, share a conversation I had with Haley Beresford, who's a good friend of yours, Catherine, isn't she, based in New York? Yes, yes, she's a very good friend. She and her husband, Kai, 
um, are very good friends of mine, and I, I often check the, the starting list at horse shows just to see if they're going to be there before I show up because we always have a really good time together. Oh, well, that's, that's nice. Um, and I know uh, <laughs> Haley has been in, based in Europe for a number of years now, and uh, uh, so I managed to catch up with her. She just moved from Germany to Switzerland recently, so uh, we're going to catch up with her in just a second. But before we do, we're going to hear from Glenn the Geek. Glenn the Geek here, and we get many emails every week from people who really like the shows, and they ask how they can help support the Horse Radio Network. Well, you already do that by listening to the shows and by buying from all of our fantastic sponsors. And now you can add to that by supporting us directly and very easily. The next time you need something from Amazon, just go to any of our websites and click on the Amazon banner in the middle of the page. Then go on and buy your Amazon items. It won't cost you a penny more, just an extra click. But Amazon gives us a little bit back just because you clicked on the banner. Tell your family and friends to do the same thing. Every little bit helps us to keep giving you the quality equestrian programming that you have come to love. Thanks for listening. Well, as I said, Haley's been based in in Europe now for the last few years. She was with Isabel Werth in Germany and uh, recently moved to Switzerland and down to uh, near Zurich where she's based with uh, Daniel Ramsay, the Swiss rider. And uh, she's obviously um, doing everything she can to make the Australian team now for the World Equestrian Games. So it was great to catch up with her. Like you, Catherine, she's a busy girl. She's running around everywhere and uh, trying to do what she can uh, in her final campaign and the lead-up to the World Equestrian Games. So uh, it was great to catch her and um, have a conversation with her. So let's hear from Haley. Oh, well, hi, Haley. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's nice to... Nice to talk with you. Well, I know that you've been uh, making news over in uh, Europe with your move to Switzerland recently from Germany. And but being this is first time on the show for you, Haley. Let's uh, let's give uh, listeners a little bit of background. You were, of course, Australian born and bred. But tell us a little bit about your background there and how you got that moved over to um, Europe in the first place. Um. Well, I was. I was born into a really horsey family. Actually, my mother's side of the family is is British, and my father is Australian, but um, born into a horsey family. My mum was dressaging, my father show jumping, my grandmother was a three-day event uh, chef for Australia for a long time, and my uncle was show jumping chef to keep for Australia for a long time, and he's still involved in the selection of the show jumping team, and uh, my other uncle is into the race horses and 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 and, and uh, we we always had horses around. And growing up, I did everything from three day from three days to show jumping to dressage to show horses. And uh, one thing led to another, and I always wanted to to ride. And actually, my fa- my my family didn't want me to ride, so I, I have a degree in music and uh, business as well and uh, I had my own business in Australia and I by coincidence met Isabel and then one thing really did lead into another. Yeah of course Isabel Worth has been on uh, on the t- on the show here a couple of times I know you she has she became your mentor so but before you met her where, where did you actually grow up in Australia because we have a lot of Australian listeners on the show here Hayley so uh, we better speak to them as well. Okay. Well, I grew up in um, a town called Marigen. It's about 200 
230 kilometers southeast of Perth, which is the major capital right. city in Western Australia. So really a farm kid. And, um, and, but I spent a lot of time with study in Perth and then later in Melbourne as well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm really like country kids. From 230 k's from the closest city. I was going to say that's pretty remote out there, isn't it? I crossed the Nullarbor once from uh, from Adelaide, Melbourne, Adelaide, and across to Perth and back again, and that that's quite a hike. That's 50 hours nonstop. Is that right? I wasn't counting. I guess it was a few days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you have a good run with a horse, you can make 50 hours. That's a so it takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while. So you came from a very remote part of Australia then, met Isabel Vest, uh, who's giving a clinic out there, I believe, that is how you met her. Was that right? Well, yeah, I, I actually met her the first time when I was on the Australian Young Riders Squad. She she was in Melbourne, and I was in Melbourne with studies and, and everything as well at the time. And um, then at the time, I had a, a really quite a nice uh, five-year-old. And uh, we we got along well then. And then five years later, she came over for for Bates Australia and did a clinic. And I just sold the horse, but I organised to keep the horse because I wanted to go to the clinic and and uh, show the horse. It was like just short of Grand Prix then. And um, one thing led to another, and we were talking and talking about horses and future. And she invited me to come and visit her stable and. And I'd always wanted to go to Europe, but I didn't actually believe I was good enough to, you know, I would go over for a trip, but I didn't think I was good enough to go over and make a career out of it over here. And then uh, so I visited the stables a few times, and and uh, 2006, we, I was backwards and forwards a lot, and I was running still a business in Australia, and then uh, I'd come over and help Isabel for a bit, and then go back home and come back, and... Um, after about the third or fourth trip, we decided that I said, you know, we have to do one or the other. And uh, she made the opportunity available. And uh, then in you know, November 2006, I moved over full time. So that must have been a major turning point in your career, Hayley, to do that. Well, it was a little bit like, well, the worst I could uh, come back to Australia was slightly better dress out rider. <laughs> Um, but I gave up everything at home. I sold sold the business, sold the house, sold all the horses, and um, it was a big commitment to, for for he was my boyfriend then, and soon because like soon after became my fiance now my husband. But it was really life changing for us. Hugely life changing, but what a marvelous opportunity um, to spend some time with Isabel. Uh, she's amazing. She's an amazing trainer. She's a wonderful person. And um, I, mean, I really learned a lot. And I actually, I, I owe my uh, dressage career to Isabella because she she shaped my riding, my style. She she gave me the opportunity with uh, the horse. I still have him. And, and, of course, his owner, who's now my one of my main sponsors. And um, um, she helped me to come into the, the dressage world with the, with the people and uh, build friendships that I've met through her. And... and uh, no, we're, we're wonderful friends. So, Well, that's terrific. But then um, moving on here, I know, as I said earlier, you make, made news when you actually made the decision to move to Switzerland, uh, which is where you're now based, I believe, close to Zurich in the north of yeah. Switzerland. Tell us uh, a little bit about how that came about and what your situation is now, Hayley. Well, 
My husband couldn't work in Germany, so that was the biggest problem. We'd been apart for for really too long, and we had been talking internally, just the two of us, about a, a change after um, after Kentucky. But then he was he was offered a, a, a great opportunity, and then I had a, a lot of um, I made some just quiet opportunity uh, uh, investigation of what was available, and and. Uh, Oh, we, it, was, it was a bit of a surprise to everyone that it happened so quickly, but uh, I did it, and I'm glad we did it. It's been it's been a, a fun step forward. So, what uh, is your business there? How many horses do you have, and, and what kind of training facility, Haley? I'm actually based now with Daniel Ramsayer, mm-hmm. and uh, I, so I have I have my horses for Eduardo Fisher. Uh, we have a selection of, we have Relampago, of course, a Lusitano, and I have now two more Lusitanos that are, that are quite nice being developed. But then uh, he now has bought um, a couple of other normal warm blood horses that I'm building up for the sport. And so I have, um, actually have five for him. And now I also have um, horses for, for Daniel Ramsay. He's given me a, a wonderful Grand Prix mare that I'm campaigning now. And... Um, some very nice younger horses build, being built up, and then of course we, we've got uh, I've got uh, some very nice other horses as well, so independently owned. But the opportunities have come quickly, and I have uh, I've been very careful not to take on more horses than I can manage well. But I I am working a full day. <laughs> I can imagine. So how many horses would you typically ride a day, Haley? Between eight and ten. Really. Now, you also made made the news in a way you didn't want to make it recently by breaking your foot. (laughs) Uh, That must have been excruciatingly painful. How is it now? Well, actually, it didn't hurt at the time. I was just so angry at myself because you could tell it was instantly broken. And uh, we had arrived home from Arkleiden quite late in the night, I think 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock or something. And then I was really keen to get back to the stables in this morning, unpack the lorry, get everything clean and sorted. And, and uh, of course, I was trying to do too much. And uh, I pulled the lorry out of the, I pulled the, my trunk from the lorry. And instead of waiting for help, I flipped the whole thing over on top of myself. And then I tried to catch it because I didn't want to scratch it and, oh. <laughs> and took the whole impact on my, on my foot. But I was a bit stupid. I was more cross about the... Uh, <laughs> cross about breaking it then uh, then uh, uh then it hurt <laughs> so, so how is it now are you able to to ride get in in your boots and ride every day um i i rested it for for four days and then because uh, it it was quite swollen quite quickly and had it up in ice of just was sitting in the corner of the arena teaching a couple of my students on my horses instead and then um, the, the swelling did come down, and there was a CDN, and I really wanted to go. And <laughs> Daniel was great because he helped me a bit with Sarah during the week and uh, took her over on the on the lunge. And then we, uh, I, I rode her on Friday and competed her on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> no stopping you, huh? So how how is it now? Because I know you've got a busy summer ahead of you campaigning to uh, make the World Equestrian Games. Uh, are, are you able to ride comfortably now i i it's not completely comfortable but i'm able to ride now the doctors have have uh strapped it and i actually have like a cast that goes into the side of my boot 
um, so that it can't twist or knock on the stirrup iron or something. Um, so it's it's really quite protected in the boot. Coming in and out of the boot, that that's not so pretty all the time. But while I'm riding, it feels good. Riding's much easier than walking. <laughs> ah, oh, well, there's an excuse. Is it your left or your right leg? It's my right leg. Ah, so it's your driving foot as well. Yeah, well, I, I did drive this morning the first time. Uh, so we, so we shouldn't tell the Swiss authorities you were probably driving with your left foot where you're braking with your left foot. We won't tell them. No, actually, when I have the cut on, it's, it's no problem. Well, no. good. Well, I hope, hope you get to fit and, you know, get uh, get that down and, and so that you're able to ride comfortably and pain-free because, as we said, it's a busy summer for you. Tell us a little bit about your plans now. I know you've got a schedule ahead of you, uh, broken foot or no broken foot. Uh, it, nothing changes in your schedule, does it? Um, no, we did change the schedule. I did do a CDN last weekend with Sarah because I haven't had her very long and I wanted the I want to get a little bit more of a bond with her. And so that did go quite well. But we did decide not to go to Fritzen's this weekend um, because of my foot. And then uh, I've done... I've done now two shows quite close together and with a lot of kilometres to travel in between. So it gave the horses an extra week of, of recovery and just easy work rather than, um, uh, you know, letting them come down from a competition and trying to build them directly back up again. I like them to have a bit of gymnastic time and uh, they've been lunch this week while I've not been able to ride them. Um, so I think they, were, they actually they felt quite good this morning when I was back on top. Great. And um, but coming up, so I'm going to go next week. We leave for Pompadour okay. uh, in France. It's quite a long trip, um, but they run the two international Grand Prix, so I can take both um, Grand Prix horses, and they have also international um, young horse tours. So I I will start uh, my six-year-old there, and then two weeks off, and then Arken, and. Um, we have to see a bit how we go in Arkham to assess uh, how many more competitions we need or don't need or where we stand in amongst the Australian riders because actually we're, we're not with clear guidance. We just have to be in the top four at the time of selections, but not just top four with the scores. We have to get them healthy, have them completely healthy at the right time and um, with the good good points at the right time and... Also, that they're not finished just just to get through the selections, but that we get through the selections with enough gas left in the tank to to go to Kentucky as well. Right, right. So it's a little bit, and it's my first time without Isabel managing everything for me. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm trying my best. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, you mentioned Farrar, of course, the the mare that Daniel previously rode. Is that right? Yeah. That was his horse. Yeah. And, And so which one would be your main... Uh, Weg contender, Hayley? Um, well, I've had I've had Rolando go for more than four years now, so of course I know him best. Um, my aim is to get both horses as good as I can. The ultimate goal would to get them both in the top four, um, and then uh, yeah, it's a little bit it has to be the best horse at the end as well. Um, Rolampago and I are, are really best mates and Farah and I uh, it's all very new but Farah is spectacular so 
it's a little bit we just have to I, I just do the best job I can do on each horse. I'm, yeah, I'm lucky to have two. So. Yeah, what what a great uh, advantage to have two to choose from. Yeah, and yeah. if I can get them both up there, then, you know, if one hap- if something happens to one, then, the, then you've got the other. It's so easy. And it's one thing I really admi- admired most about Isabel was that she could always keep two horses really at the top of the sport. Yes. So. Yeah, just keep them consistently at the top there, as you say. Always nice to have one to fall back on because you never know with horses. They could let you down yeah. in the last minute. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And especially, you know, coming across the pond, you know, it's a big trip. There's a lot of arrangements when you're traveling long distance. Would that be your first time in Kentucky, Haley? if you were to come here? Yeah, it'd be my first time to America full stop. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. well, then, then you certainly want to make it a memorable one. And nothing like making the, the team, the official team, to compete for, for your country. Uh, to, yeah. to, to, <laughs> to have oh, fingers crossed. Australia, the Australian riders have actually really improved in the last four years. So I can't say, I mean, it wasn't an easy step onto the team the first time around. But I, I have to say that the standard now for the Australian riders over here, buying for a spot is much better than it was four years ago. So it's not sure that... Uh, no one spot on the team is sure that that, that that's not something I just take for granted. So, now would your family um, come over and meet you here? Would they come from Australia, Haley? Is that the plan? Um, actually, I'm a bit suspicious when it comes to things like that, so we don't make any plans, oh. any 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 preparations, nothing, no accommodation booked in Kentucky, nothing. Um, I I don't believe in um, counting eggs before they hatch. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm sure that... before you hatch. I That's say. it. <laughs> well, nothing like uh, as you say, just uh, staying in the moment, and you can only do play it one day at a, a time. So now that you're firmly ensconced in the Swiss life, what do you like about it? It's actually a bit like home. Um, the lifestyle is is a lot more like home, and where we're living um, in Hogenberg at Daniels is. It's uh, very quiet, and uh, we have forest next door that we can go riding out in. And, of course, I've moved here in the middle of the summer, so a really nice time of year. And um, We live close to the horses, and uh, it's, it's, it's a bit more like home. But, uh, they're, they're, everything's a little bit more slowly moving. I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, of course, you you got to be fluent in German, in high German, when you lived in Germany, but now you've had to switch to Swiss German. How's that coming along? Well, it must be coming along because everyone was laughing at my accent. (laughs) (laughs) But I I can't say I'm completely fluent um, in German. I I can speak German and I understand German, but I'm not a linguist, that's for sure. I don't I can actually, with the horses, I can understand, uh, I can speak everything because and think in German. But in normal conversation every day, I, I just can't think in the language yet. But, um, as long as the horses understand me, I think that's the most important thing. Exactly. That's your first line of communication. Yeah, that's it. All right, Haley. Well, I know you're a busy lady, um, but we really appreciate you taking time to visit us here on the Dressage Radio Show and talk to a lot of your friends down under. As they say, we have a wonderful audience in Australia who follow the Dressage Radio Show. So they'll be delighted that you came on the show. And we want to wish you the very best of luck in your uh, in your campaign now to make it to uh, the World Equestrian Games. And I definitely will we'll have you on the show when you get to Kentucky, all things <laughs> being equal. Uh, good luck with both of the horses, and, and I hope your foot gets better soon. Ah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
Well, great to hear from Hayley. You know, the the Australians really have the disadvantage geographically, don't they, uh, Catherine? You know, to... they sure do. You, you can't you can't get much worse than being in Australia. <laughs> yeah, especially you... if you have to ship your horse anywhere to do competitions or. I mean, it's, I think it's really essential for serious Australian riders to be based here in Europe if they if they can swing it. Yeah, it's, it, it re- they are geographically challenged, but I know Haley's uh, really made great strides in establishing herself in Europe, and and there's there's a hint of that accent, uh, Catherine, German accent. Now she's lost the Aussie twang. Did you notice that? You know, I think she's done that on purpose, just so that everyone here can understand her. Oh, is that right? <laughs> it, it, ha- it happens to the best of us. It, sometimes, also when I'm speaking English with Germans, I will change my, my not e- not even my accent, uh, accent, but my my inflection and uh, just the way you, you say certain words and things. Yeah, it's interesting, and I know you. It, it, it's something. It's so easy to pick up when you're, you know, embedded in the front line, so to speak, with you know, in your your. You're immersed in a foreign country, and I was telling Haley after we got off the air that uh, I was actually uh, that Switzerland was the first country that I lived in when I was a young 19-year-old, and I literally I left England, and uh, I had no German in my vocabulary whatsoever, not least of all Swiss German, which, mm-hmm. um, as you know, they call it a disease of the throat more than a language. Not to offend my. <laughs> Not to offend my Swiss friends, but it's very challenging to learn, and there's only one way to learn. It's not something you can learn in a classroom. You have to be immersed in it. Yes, um, absolutely. That is true. That's also true about the Austrian dialect. Indeed, and, absolutely. And, of course, we used to tease the Austrians, you know, the relationship between the Swiss and the Austrians. I know, you know we have listeners all over the world, Catherine, so we have to be careful not to offend the Swiss and the Austrian or get, let them get into it. They can battle it out on the football field. Absolutely, field. Yes. <laughs> But, yeah, that was a challenge. I was tempted to uh, talk Swiss German to to uh, Haley, but she's uh, she's made that transition from high German to Swiss German now, I think. But uh, interesting that yes. she has lost it. But as you say, you you really do have to lose your change your inflection, and uh, yes. and you know you find a different lilt to your language. <laughs> There's a different different rhythm to the way that you speak. That's right, different mm-hmm. different rhythm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, we want to wish the very best of luck to Haley in her pursuit to uh, make the World Equestrian Games team and get over here to Kentucky later this year. Good luck to them and to all of the Australian team. That, as you said, uh, Catherine, they have a challenge geographically and uh, a lot to catch up with to be based in Europe to get the, that vital experience. So the best of luck to every one of those. Well, Catherine, I've got a couple of questions for you here. We, we've heard from Dawn Freiler. Dawn, I want to thank you again for writing. She had some great questions and uh, suggestions. She wrote a few emails to me recently, and thanks again for doing that, Dawn. I'm delighted that you listened to the show and had some really good ideas, and I think um, a couple of questions here that might really look uh, appropriate for you, Catherine. I don't know if you want to take this. The first one that I thought, uh, is since we, you are on the show with Frank Steuben and... Uh, I know you're a great aficionado of Steuben's saddles, so we've got a question about saddle fitting. And her question, Dawn's question is, uh, could, um, you could do a show on, she says she suggests we do a show on properly fitting a saddle for, to a horse for dressage, but that's very individual, isn't it? Yes, it is very individual, and I think it's much easier to do with a video um, so that you have those, that visual input as well. Um, I can only give a few tips, and again, these are very these are very general tips. But I just got a brand new saddle from Steuben, which is designed along in the way that I want my dressage saddles to be designed. 
Um, it was made specifically for me and my horse. And what I do when I want to see if the saddle fits properly is I set it on the horse's back without anything underneath it. And what I would like to see is that the saddle is level. That means that the tip of the cantle is level with the pommel uh, of the saddle, depending, again, on how the saddle is shaped. But what you shouldn't have the feeling of is that the saddle tips backward when it sits on the horse and then it sits lower behind than it does in the front, or that it tips forward onto the horse's shoulders. You should have a very balanced uh, picture when you look at it that way. And if you look at the flap, the front edge of the flap, it should, generally speaking, and again, this depends on how the saddle is made, it should be um, perpendicular with the ground. So um, at least that's, that's true of the Steuben Tristans, the old ones that I always rode in. And when you set the saddle on your horse, if you press down on the pommel or press down on the cantle individually, pommel, cantle, pommel, cantle, there should be no rock in the saddle. It should stay really in its position and shouldn't rock back and forth. And, of course, it's extremely important that you have correct clearance at the withers, that you can get at least two fingers between the withers and the pommel of the saddle. More is better, um, and that you have enough clearance there, and that when you put the weight of the rider on the saddle, that the pommel does not interfere uh, with the wither bone at all. So this is, this is very important. Very, very, yeah, very important indeed. And as you say, it's it's very individual, but there are some basic things there that I hope were helpful, Dawn. And uh, you know, I think take take a, a video as uh, you know, video is being more, used more and more as a as a tool now. And I think that there's so many things that maybe we didn't used to think about that we could use video for. But things like this, I think, would be very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it is a very visual thing. Um, so I hope that's been helpful to you, Dawn. And and she also makes another uh, suggest a question here and um, suggestion for um, for you. I think uh, this is a bigger one actually, a uh, bigger question, Catherine. And uh, and that is evaluating a horse for purchase. What a big question. She asks, uh, what kinds of attributes do you want in a dressage horse as opposed to say a horse, you know, for jumping, eventing, trail riding, and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, this this is one of my favorite subjects. Um, I always try to look at a horse first in motion to. Sh- see what kind of gates he's going to show me. And if a horse has a natural elasticity to him, that is a big bonus. He has to, of course, have three correct gates. And where I'm particularly hard in my evaluation of a dressage prospect is in the walk and in the canter. Um, A walk is something that you can improve with really good riding, although a lot of people will say something different. You actually can improve it, um, but there are only certain things that you can improve in the walk. So if if a horse is born with a a naturally good walk that means a nice big overstride and a nice tendency to be forward and free in the shoulder that's what i call a sexy walk uh when the horse is free in the shoulder (laughs) and he really really swings through then that's going to be a big plus for me and of course i want to see the canter with an uphill tendency and a really good active hind leg it has to appear to me no matter what age the horse is that that he's not going to have a problem rocking onto his hindquarters and staying there um In the trot, if you have a natural talk, a natural rhythm, that's, of course, another bonus. Um, There are some horses that we cut in German, we call them Taktseeker, and that means that they never come out of their rhythm. Uh, These horses are especially useful in dressage because even if the rider makes a mistake or two or isn't quite as sensitive as he or she should be with their seat or hand connection, the horse will probably stay in rhythm anyway, and he won't make a rhythm mistake. Um, so a horse that's tucked seeker is, will get a lot of extra points on my evaluation. Um, and then depend, you know, depending on what level of horse you're buying, and I don't mean, um, 
uh, dressage level, I mean the quality of the horse that you're buying, then a lot of other things come into play. Um, the next thing I'm going to look at after evaluating the gates under the rider is the horse's conformation. I do not want to see a low set on neck or a neck that's, that's tied in too low at the chest. I don't want to see a lot of thickness in the throat latch. Um, I always check the lower jaw of the horse to see how wide it is. A lot of horses have such a narrow lower jaw that they have a problem accepting the bit. Um, I want to see a neck that's really set on properly at the top of the withers, and the horse should literally look like he's standing there on the bridle when he stands up in front of me. I personally prefer a curvy horse. That means a horse that has a neck that curves over his top line, and then the back has a, has a nice shallow curve in it, and then he has a nice crew, uh, uh, a nice continuous and graceful curve over the rump when he's standing there. Uh, some people, I, I have to say I've been successful with some horses that are not as curvy, meaning their top lines are straighter and flatter. They have a flatter croup, a flatter back. The neck isn't set on quite so high. Um, I've been successful with a lot of horses like that too. So all of that form to function has to really be evaluated in motion. But of, of course, I'm going to look at the horse in a side view and evaluate how well balanced he is on all four of his legs and how his top line um, if his top line looks really rideable or not. And then, of course, you have legs coming into question. I don't, I'm not a fan of crooked legs. I'm actually quite a stickler for horses that have good, round, broad feet, straight legs, um, not straight in the hocks necessarily, but, I mean, legs that are not turned in or turned out, splay-footed or towed in, that kind of thing. I like a horse who stands really square on his feet. And, um, yeah, those are all things you have to take into consideration because I have also bought and been very successful with horses with crooked legs, too. So, you know, for me, it's a matter of evaluating the entire horse and saying, okay, how much do I want to compromise? Because there is no such thing as a perfect horse. Then, of course, there comes in the element of rideability, which is bigger than anything else. I mean, I, I have a horse who has really, right now, who has really unlikely confirmation, when you see him standing there without a saddle, you would ask yourself, why did Catherine buy this horse? <laughs> but when you, when you see me on him, and because of his extremely high rideability and the fact that this horse wants to be a competitive dressage horse, it makes up for all of his failings in confirmation. And I have some other horses who are perfect in confirmation and perfect in their legs, and they, they are the picture book stamp on a coin type of horse, but they're not as rideable as some of the others. So all of that, those things have to be taken into um, consideration. And, you know, I don't think you can compare buying a dressage horse. The question that Dawn asked was, how do you evaluate a dressage horse for, per, for purchase uh, opposed to, let's say, a horse for jumping or even trail riding? I don't think you can compare those, those three things. If you want to do downhill skiing, you buy downhill skis. You don't buy a snowboard. So... If I were, if I want to do dressage, I'm going to buy a dressage horse and a horse that's inclined for dressage. That doesn't mean that you can't do dressage on a horse who isn't perhaps 100% appropriate. You can, uh, but if you want to train a horse to the highest level of dressage and be successful with him, competitively speaking, then you have to start with very good material for a horse that is suited for that purpose. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, you might find, you know, a number of horses that not, not necessarily have a dressage stamp. If you're just competing at the lower levels, it could be anything from a pony upwards that can do dressage, can do basic mm -hmm. lower level dressage. But as Catherine said, if you want to reach the highest level, then you've got to buy the right tools for the job, haven't you? Yes, you do. 
Well, great advice. Thank you very much, Catherine. I hope that's been helpful, Dawn. Keep those ideas coming. And if you want to come on the show and ask our host a question, just send me your emails uh, and a telephone number. Send the email over to me, chris at horseradionetwork.com. Send me a daytime telephone number and your question. And I'd be delighted to have you on the show with uh, one of our hosts because they always have the answer. If we don't have the answer, we know someone who does, don't we, Catherine? Yes. (laughs) Well, we hope so. (laughs) Well, thanks again. And as I say, keep those questions coming. We love to hear from you. And we also have a comment um, on our Facebook page, Dressage Radio Show, as you know, has a page on Facebook. And a note here from Karen McGoldrick. Karen writes in, thank you, Robert, and that referring, of course, to Robert Dover, who was our guest on the show last week, for the update on Gunter Seidel. His injury really sounds serious, and I'm so glad he, is, he had his helmet on. I'm sorry that further surgery will be necessary. Between Courtney and Gunter, I'm seeing so many more riders in their helmets. So something good can come of all this suffering. And we're, of course, delighted, as you heard, if you listened to the show last week, that Courtney King-Dai is now uh, doing so much better. She actually left the rehabilitation center last week. So she'll be um, coming to that uh, center as an outpatient now uh, in the in the upcoming months. And on the, well on the road to a wonderful recovery, so uh, good for her. And I know that Gunter, I uh, can tell you, he left hospital um, this earlier this week, so he's on the road to recovery too. He's going to be staying in Germany a little while before he's able to travel back to the States. So good news for both Courtney and Gunter, and thanks for that post, Karen. Keep those comments coming. We love to hear from you. And uh, also, uh, we have a message here from Glenn the Geek. She's going to make a, an exciting announcement about the um, Bluegrass Medallion giveaway that we've uh, mentioned on the show before. So let's hear from Glenn. Hi, Glenn the Geek here. Don't forget to register today to win one of the official medallions of the Alltech FEI World Equestrian Games. Bluegrass Medallions has kindly donated this amazing set of medallions, a gold, a silver, and a bronze, worth over $500, and you can win one today. Just go to horseradionetwork.com to register to win. It's free and easy. We want to thank Bluegrass Medallions for the donation and the giveaway. That's horseradionetwork.com to register to win. Well, our thanks to Glenn for mentioning that, reminding you all to go to horseradionetwork.com, and we want to thank Bluegrass Medallions for donating those medallions that are worth over $500. We're really sort of heating up for uh, the uh, World Equestrian Games here in Kentucky, Catherine, you know, literally and figuratively. We're in the mid-90s and the temperatures and very humid, but, of course, come September, hopefully it will be a lot more seasonable and uh, pleasant conditions but the uh, horse park I should tell you if you are coming um, it's got lots to offer besides the competition itself I want to remind you all of the wonderful gift of the desert exhibition that is taking place in the International Museum of the Horse that is absolutely stunning stunning uh, exhibition Um, I urge you to go over and see that see that and also uh, of course the other features of the Kentucky Horse the permanent features as well as the um, the competitions itself, and they've started to build those out, of course. The permanent uh, uh, facilities are well finished, and the temporary stands now are being brought in, Catherine. You know the, the grandstands to build out. Um, you know what it's like with a horse show, how they start to build it all out, and it becomes, oh, yeah. a, it becomes a village. Yeah, I, I witnessed it firsthand the last two weeks in Austria. Oh, you did, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what kind of um, spectator attendance would they have had at a show like that, Catherine? There were probably a thousand people there on Sunday to watch the freestyles and the Grand Prix special. 
That, that's really not bad. I guess, you know, a small community like Fritzens and, and, and Austria, I mean, they yeah, are relatively Fritzens is a very, a very small town, and it's a long way. It's not so easy to get to. It's up in the middle of the mountains. So it was nice to have that many people turn out to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're hoping the crowds will come to the World Equestrian Games this, this, later this year. And as I said, don't forget to check out all the other wonderful attractions here at the Kentucky Horse Park. Well, we're back to come to the end of our show this week, Catherine. I want to thank you for joining us. Um, and I know you're, you're going to be off traveling again momentarily. You said you're packing your suitcase. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, I want to remind everybody to, uh, to uh, check us out on uh, Facebook, our fan page over there. You can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio and Chrissy Stafford. And, of course, our show notes are on dressageradio.com. And don't forget to check out Catherine's blog on the Chronicle of the Horse. How often do you do that, Catherine? Oh, about two times a week. Yeah? Yeah. So, and and do you put, you're putting videos up there as well as photographs? So Videos. Really... In fact, there, I just put up a video of the horse show actually being, the horse, horse show grounds being built at Fritzen's last weekend. And also some, um, I'm just putting up a blog now about the evening program that they did there for all of the competitors. They had a little mini concert with an opera singer and the Johann Strauss ensemble, which was incredible. And I usually put some of my tests up from the horse shows. I'm trying to sort of, um, I'm trying to show people Winnie-Marl's progression. This is the first time I've actually had a young Grand Prix horse. I've had many, but this is the first time I've recorded on video the horse competing from show to show. And you can actually see these one or two little things at every show changing and becoming better. So I'm trying to chronicle that, if you will, for my for my readers. Oh, what, what a great idea! Well, again, those blogs of Catherine's are on the Chronicle of the Horse, one of the affiliates of the Horse Radio Network, and we will put a link on our website uh, directly to Catherine's blog. And uh, don't forget that uh, if you have any questions, comments, and suggestions, you only have to drop me an email, Chris at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Or you can leave a voicemail if you prefer, 270-803-0025. I'd like to thank our sponsors again for making this show possible and ask you to support them in the way they support us. Our thanks again to our crew, Glenn the Geek and Brian, who get these shows out every week. And to my guests this week, Haley Beresford and Laura Graves, for coming on the show. Thanks to you both. Good luck in your endeavors. And to Catherine who are setting back on the road again and uh, the road to WEG, hopefully, Catherine. We want to wish you the best of luck in that campaign, too. And and do you have any time to do anything for fun, or is your fun all, you know, well, if you have concerts at horse shows, what better? (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't need to have fun because I have fun (laughs) every single day of my life. I love what I do. I go to really interesting, fascinating places. Um, I meet great people. I have great friends on the circuit, Haley being one of them. Um, you know, fun is, is my middle name. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. Well, I envy you of, of your travels around Europe, and uh, hopefully we get to meet later on this year. And best of luck with your campaign, Catherine. And you'll come back on the show in a few weeks, I hope. I hope so. Terrific. Well, thanks again for joining us, and thank you to everybody. And I'll be back again, same place, same time next week. So until then... Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to practice safe riding by always wearing your helmet. <laughs>